You can have a seat. This morning, Rick will be teaching from 2 Kings 25, 1 through 10. So in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the 10th day of the 10th month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army. He encamped outside the city and built siege works all around it. The city was kept under siege until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Then the city wall was broken through, and the whole army fled at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden, though the Babylonians were surrounding the city. They fled toward, uh, toward the Araba, but the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho. All his soldiers were separated from him and scattered, and he was captured. He was taken to the king of Babylon at Riblah, where sentence, where sentence was pronounced upon him. They killed the sons of Zedekiah before his eyes. Then they put out his eyes, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. On the seventh day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, Nebuzaradan, commander of the imperial guard and officer of the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem. He set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army, under the commander of the imperial guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Good morning, everyone. Um, so, uh, one of the things that I've said throughout this series about redemption is brokenness always precedes redemption. So, um, hopefully, the redemption of the air conditioning will be taking place soon because it is clearly broken. Um, I expected more giggles out of that. <laughs> um, so, uh, I woke up this morning and I had this random thought. Uh, do you know that the stars, like right now, are equally as brilliant as they are at like midnight tonight? What do you need to be able to see the stars? Darkness, um, which is interesting. Um, because we tend to, as I think, um, middle-class suburbia, fear and run from hard things and uh, center our lives around comfort and running from darkness. But is it possible that in dark times that we can see things that God intended for us to see that are beautiful about him that we couldn't see were it to be light? Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about uh, a really difficult place in the time of the life of God's people and hopefully draw some conclusions from that. One of the conclusions that I, I want us to draw just generally, like the, the big picture thing, is that um, one of the strongest personality traits of God, and, and God has personality, um, one of the strongest personality traits of God is he is redemptive. He's always redeeming. He's always working his redemption. Um, I want to show you uh, a few pictures 
uh, Brooklyn, hit that, that first picture if you could. This happened, um, I think, April 21st or 22nd of 2011. That's, uh, that's my house. Um, tornado from Good Friday in 2011 kind of came through. And you can see that, uh, that like little tykes slide right there. That was in the backyard of my house. And now it's in the front yard of my house. There's a the large tree. I think maybe in a second we're going to see a picture of you, Travis, on the, on the roof putting the tarp up. Uh, this is from my attic looking out the window, or not the window, looking out the gaping hole that a tree made. So um, it rained like for 36 hours straight after this, and so there's nothing but rain coming into this big gaping hole in my roof. And this is not the only gaping hole that's in my roof uh, on, on that time. But just rain just kept coming and kept coming and kept coming and uh, destroyed the house. Leave, leave it on this one for a second. This one, I think, is, is a really cool picture. So this is uh, one of two of the main culprits, probably the main culprit, a tree in my neighbor's yard split in half and fell onto my house. And you can see the, the tree in the, the back of the yard that's kind of got the the bark missing on that portion of it. And then the just brush and bushes and tree branches everywhere that was going on in my backyard. And this, this really tells a great picture of um, what the house really looked like. And a bunch of glass in our sun porch is gone there. And uh, the, the blinds you can kind of see have been destroyed. Uh, and where those tree branches are that you can see in the backyard now, do you guys know what sits there now? It's a, it's a really beautiful pool and a, and a big deck um, that we celebrated my daughter's graduation on yesterday. Um, so, and this is kind of the side. Here, here's the, the power of this thing. That boards, those boards, you can see one really long one and then kind of one short one. Um, those are rafters that the pressure literally just pushed those rafters from one side of the house to the, like, shove them out. They were, like, nailed in and they shoved them out. Um, and I think, is there one more, Brooklyn? Uh, yeah, this is a, a mangled trampoline. And that's, I think, Jen's back right there, maybe. Um, somebody's shoulder. Uh, but the, the mangled trampoline also now sits where the swimming pool sits. And I show all of that stuff um, because I want you to see that there's Things that, like, it was, it was a really, we were out of our house for almost nine months, and it was really hard, this rebuild, but um, our house now is brand new. It's beautiful. We have a huge dining room where a terrible garage used to be. We have a great, uh, like, master bathroom where a terrible sun porch used to be, and we have uh, an incredible brand new kitchen with all brand new cabinets and brand new appliances and brand new all this stuff where crappy stuff used to be. Um, and none of that I could have afforded to gain for myself or my wife. But because this terrible thing happened, it's, it's true. Um, it's, it's the world that, that my wife and family and I get, get to live in. Um, so let me allow that to just kind of be the, the backdrop of, of what we talk about this morning. Matthew 1, 17. Matthew 1 kind of shows us it, it's been all the redemption stories that we've told have come from Matthew 1, and then we go to other pieces in Scripture where this redemption story took place. Matthew 1, 17 says, Thus, there were 14 generations from Abraham, and he was the first 
redemption story that we told. 14 generations from Abraham to David. So great, 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 14 times David's grandson or grandfather is Abraham. And then 14 generations from David to the exile. And the exile is what we're going to read about today. And then 14 generations from what we read about today, the exile to the birth of Jesus. So there's all these generations that happen to get us to this one point. So I'd say that just to give us some context, some historical context on what's happening. So from Abraham to 14 years and 14 years to David, from 14 years from that to the exile, from 14 years to, uh, to Jesus being born. So let's read the, the passage again that, that Kelly read to us. Um, so in the ninth year of Zedekiah's reign, on the 10th day of the 10th month, Nebuchadnezzar, by the way, Kelly, nice job on all these crazy names. Well done. Um, so in the ninth year of, of Zedekiah's reign, on the 10th day of the month, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, marched against Jerusalem with his whole army and encamped around the city and built siege works around it. I want to tell you what siege works are. If you don't know it, they build a wall around a city with the, the, the sole purpose of keeping people in and not allowing stuff in. So no food, no supplies of any kind or getting into the city. So that's what happens when a siege is built, a wall is built around the city, and this particular siege uh, lasted. Historians believe that it's probably about 18 months, but maybe as long as 30 months that this siege took place. So imagine no food, no supplies, no nothing coming into your city. You can't leave, you can't do anything for a year and a half, at least. Um, the city was under siege and kept until the 11th year of King Zedekiah. By the ninth day of the fourth month, the famine in the city had become so severe that there was no food for the people to eat. Um, do you see that? In the ninth day of the fourth month of the famine, there was no food. We still got another 14 months to go with no food. Then the city wall was broken through and the whole army at night through the gate between the two walls near the king's garden. Though the Babylonians were surrounding the city, they fled towards Arab. So they broke through the siege wall and tried to run away. But the Babylonian army pursued the king and overtook him in the plains of Jericho and all his soldiers were separated from him and scattered and he was captured. And he was taken to the king of Babylon at Ribah where a sentence was pronounced upon him. And they killed the sons of Zedekiah. So the king of God's people had, was, was, his children were killed and he had to watch it. And right after his children were killed, they cut his eyes out. So the, literally the last thing that he saw was the murder of his children. Um, on the seventh day of the fifth month in the 19th year of Nebuchadnezzar, King of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, and Kelly did a much better job than I did, commander of the imperial guard, the official king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem, and he set fire to the temple of the Lord, the royal palace, and all the houses of Jerusalem. Every important building he burned down. The whole Babylonian army, under the commander of the imperial guard, broke down the walls around Jerusalem. Um, there's a little bit of backstory that I want to give you before this happened. So God's people, the Israelites, had committed some sin that brought this upon them, but they'd also had some sin perpetrated against them that brought this upon them. This is not all of their own doing. It's also the, the doing of, of some others around them that is sinful. So I say that to say this, as, and, and I hope 
that throughout this message this morning, you'll be able to connect with a little bit of this brokenness. But understand this, that your brokenness that you have may be your fault, but it also may be the fault of someone else sinning uh, against you. And it's important as you try to kind of place yourself in the story that that's the, the truth. But know this, the foundational purpose of God's personality is redemption. I want you to know like the foundational, like one of the foundational aspects of the personality of God is to be redemptive. Um, I also want to think about, we're, we're going to read Lamentations 3 in, in just a second. And I want you to know that the story that we just read is, is really quick and gives you a historical context, but the specific nature of what happened was starving people left in a city in ruins are, are killed for the purpose of another empire gaining power and authority and control and money, wealth. Um, that idea has been going on for thousands of years. Um, my initial thought when I wanted to preach this message was to show you how terrible what actually happened was so that you might think to yourself, man, I don't have it nearly as bad as those Israelites had it who were literally starved. A lot of them starved to death. And when people around you die and starve and you can't do anything with their body except let it sit there and rot and, and pardon the, the gross nature of that, but that's what's going on here. Starving people dying and then starving people who had not yet died were killed by an army looking for more power and more wealth. I wanted to, tell, to paint this awful picture and help to let you see that whatever it is that you're walking through is not nearly as bad as what these people are walking through. And that may be true and probably is true. Um, but I don't just want to say if God can redeem that, he can redeem you. Because that tends to, to belittle whatever it is that's happening in, in your heart and in your soul and in your life. And I, I, I don't mean to do that. I don't, think, I don't think God wants to do that. But it also puts you in the middle of the story, puts you as the point of the story. And let, let, me, let me be clear right now that the point of what we're going to read in Lamentations, the point of what we just read in 1 Kings, the point of, of, of your struggles, your darkness that's either currently or will happen, the point of that is not about you. The point of that, the point of darkness is about seeing the light of this holy God. So Lamentations one, or 3, 1 through 23, we're going to read those. Um, but I want you to, to see the, uh, Jeremiah puts himself into the story and uses the pronoun I as, a, as kind of a, a literary poetic device. But the things that he sees are not, that he writes about here, are not just poetry. He's witnessed this happening to his people. Lamentations 3, verse 1. I am the man who has seen affliction. Under the rod of his wrath, 
He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Um, when I initially read this, when I've read this, this chapter many times and studied this chapter many times, and it's, a, it's an incredibly dark, these first few verses are incredibly dark. Um, and, and I have a problem with them because I read this. He, he's talking to God. God has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. And in our ridiculous, stupid North American comfort culture, we can't come to grips with the fact that God might cause affliction in our lives. Like, that's something that's, that's foreign to us. And I want to say to you, it's not foreign for God. It's not out of his character to push you into darkness. God has a very specific purpose for darkness. God has a very specific purpose for uncomfortability. And there's an incredible value to it. And I hope that these words of darkness and hardship can bring purpose and hope into the struggle that you either are in or, or will be in likely soon. Um, it's, it's interesting. I, last night, I don't know if you saw this or not, but I put, on, I put a little bit of this and in, in a couple of thoughts onto Facebook, and I had two responses, um, like replies, and they both come from mothers of children who died. These verses have been incredibly helpful to me. I can't tell you how many times these verses have brought hope to my despair. Verse 3. And again, tap into the repulsion that you feel in your heart towards this surely can't be God that you've been conditioned for. You, by, we're... By living here in this culture, in this age, in this time, in this season, you have been improperly conditioned to believe that God couldn't do something like this. Verse 3, surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. Do you know, like, do you, I want to belabor this point just for a second. Do you realize that there's hardship in your life for a purpose and it's not punishment? Every punishment that was due to you for your sin was poured out on Jesus, and it's done. If you think for a second that Jesus is, that God is punishing you for your sin, you belittle the cross. It's the punishment that was yours has been levied. It's done. It's history. The only things that happened to you that might seem or perceive to be dark are there for your good. So that we can see in verse 3, surely against me, he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. And we can label that to be good because we're seeing the beauty and nature of God. Verse 4, he has made my flesh and my skin waste away. Again, he's, he's personalizing this pronoun he here, but he's, he's watched his friends and his family, their flesh literally waste away. Or again, starvation is the main thing that's happening in a siege so while he says he has made this, he, it didn't happen to Jeremiah, but it happened to his friends. Poetic device to say, he has made my flesh and skin waste away. Literally, he has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. And, and another thing that I find incredible about these verses is it, it gives you permission to be angry. 
at God. Do you, do you sense and feel the, the poetic anger that's in Jeremiah here? He's blaming God. God has beseeched me and enveloped me. God has filled me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. Here's, here's my, my picture of, of this, is that the siege wall is literally a wall that's around the city. And as throughout the course of these 18 months, I picture Jeremiah sitting and thinking, just like I, I picture my, when I look, look back to 2011 and, and the tornado destroying, destroying my house, I look back and think about God. When Jeremiah looks out and sees these walls, he doesn't see just walls. He sees God building these walls that have caused such hardship. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. Again, that literally happened to him. He has made my chains heavy. Literally happened to his king Zedekiah, who was bound in chains and taken away. Though I cry, though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. Is anybody honest enough to say that sometimes they feel like God isn't, isn't listening to their prayers? Um, as your pastor, I want to lead you in raising my hand to feel like many times in my life, God it shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone, likely the siege walls were made of, of large stones that were built upon one another. So he's not just being poetic here. He's being literal. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. This is, this is the Bible. This is God's inspired word. Calling God a bear lying in wait, a lying in hiding, waiting to pounce and destroy me. He has turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He's probably referring to the destruction of the temple there. Tore me into pieces. He has made me desolate. I want to insert something here that I meant to insert a bit ago. Do you know, this is interesting, Jeremiah is, is sitting on a hillside looking down into ruined Jerusalem when he writes these words. Do you know what would happen 14 generations later on that hillside? It's where Jesus died. So where, where, where Jeremiah writes these words, 14 generations later, Jesus would be there breathing his last breaths. Verse 12, he bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He watched the army of his enemy shoot arrows into his friends and family. He drove into my kidneys the arrows of his quiver. I became the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness and has sated me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel probably also a reference to trying to find food and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is. And again, all of this is the doing of the Lord. The bereft nature of, 
of, of peace of Jeremiah's heart is the doing of God. Let that sit with you for a second. And it's not a punishment. Just that phrase is so beautiful. My soul is bereft of peace. Do you connect with the pain? I have forgotten what happiness is. And here's where I wanted to insert something about, man, you think you got it bad and, make, and, and try to make you see how these people have it worse. But I don't, I don't want to do that because the reality is there's something that's going on in everyone's life that is probably pretty dark or pretty hard. But what I want to proclaim to you is the very nature of God is to be redeeming. So he wants to redeem that hardship and bring incredible joy and glory into your life. Verse 18. So I say my endurance has perished and so has my hope from the Lord. His hope has perished from the Lord. God caused Jeremiah, the incredible prophet, to have his hope perish. Remember my affliction and wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. You ever had something, a hard thing happen in your life that you just can't stop thinking about? And you want to go and do something that's going to take your mind off of this hard thing? Jeremiah says, my soul continually remembers it and it's bowed down within me. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. The reason that I don't want you to to compare your tragedy to the tragedy of Jeremiah is that you are not the point. The point is Jesus. The point is seeing him. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Even in the midst of your darkest dark day, you were loved by Jesus. His mercies never come to an end. They're new every morning. Every morning, tomorrow, wake up and see the sun shining. Tomorrow's going to be a great day because Sundays are supposed to be hard because we all got to go to work tomorrow. But tonight, we don't have to. We don't have to be like, oh, tomorrow morning, I got to go to work. So you're going to wake up tomorrow morning and the sun is going to rise and you don't have to go to work. Some of you may do. I'm sorry. Just go with my illustration, please. Because let's just pretend that nobody's working tomorrow. And I want you to see the reality of what awaits you. There's coming a time where stuff won't die or fail or break where darkness won't descend, where you don't need to have these incredible, poetic, 
beautiful, beautiful statements that Jeremiah has written, like, my soul is bereft of peace. Because your consistent and eternal reality will be the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. Do you think God is just cool enough to give us sunrises and sunsets to illustrate this point to us? That hardship comes, but hardship goes, and one day, hardship will never come again. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in him. Um, I want to end with... uh, a couple of things. One is I, I think that the more I live and the more I study and the more I'm, I'm around people who in, encounter hardship, I'm convinced the biggest reason why things happen to us, both good and bad, is to take our minds and our eyes and our hands and our emotion off of this moment and put it on to him. Because I think the purpose of redemption has three folds, three pieces. One is to teach us to trust God. That even in the midst of darkness, if you can retrospectively look back at hardship and see the hand of God, that teaches you to trust him. Um, and it's, so when we, there, Look, look back there on the wall. There's, there's a, a series of three light switches. They control these three lights. What do you think is going to happen if I flip those light switches off? The lights will go off. Why, why, are you, why, do, you, why do you know that? And, and it's like it's just because we've... That's what happens when, when you flip the light switch off, the lights go out. And God, I, I think, brings darkness and hard things into our life to, because the truth is he's going to bring his sunlight to us again. And it's, it's a cause and effect. It teaches us. He redeems your sin and redeems sins against you over and over and over again. Yet we still don't trust him when difficult things happen. We get mad at him. But elsewhere in Scripture, he says he's working all things together for your good. Trust him. The second thing is to restore and create youthfulness. Usefulness. Don't we wish he restored and created youthfulness? Happy birthday, Kathleen. But... So yesterday, we had a graduation party at my house that had been destroyed by a tornado, and now we get to engage and enjoy, and a lot of you were there at this party. And like it, do you, do you see God, like when you think of God, do you think of, he makes things new? Probably not. I'm like I'm a freaking pastor for crying out loud, and I don't. When I when bad things happen to me, I slump my shoulders and get whiny, and Jen tells me to to toughen up. And like now here I am with a microphone in front of you telling you to toughen up. Look to, to the hope that's coming. But when darkness comes, 
it allows us to see, and, and you are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. You are an ambassador for Christ. You are an advertisement for Jesus. And one of the purposes of that is to engage with darkness. But I think the, the most important thing and the, the most incredible thing about hardship and redemption is it helps just to see how beautiful God is. Like I'm looking around and I, I see, and I, I, know, I know your stories, and I know that the, the hardship that you've, you've dealt with and are dealing with, what the last couple of years have brought into your world. And, and, and I think that God wants me to say to you that he's got a purpose. And the biggest purpose of that is to take your eyes off of yourself and, and, and to see how beautiful he is. It, it seems childish for me to say this, but God loves you so much. He loves you so much that sometimes he, he will cause pain in your life to get you to trust him, to be able to restore you, and for you to be able to see how incredibly beautiful he is. Let's pray and uh, see what happens next. God, I, um, I confess my... my sin and my insecurity and my fear of darkness before these people and to you in this moment, God. God, and I pray for those here in this place. God, I pray that you would allow every person in the room to connect with a dark moment in their life, Father. But God, I pray that somehow you would orchestrate your redemption, Father, and you would teach us to trust you, and you would show us that you are restoring us, and that you would allow us to gaze upon your infinite beauty. God, would you do that among us? Thank you. Thank you for the hardships in our lives. Thank you for your son, Jesus, who is so incredibly faithful. God, center our hearts and our minds around your redemptive personality. And God, may we face darkness with the courage that you've given to us through your son, Jesus. 
thank you for Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.